Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. Uh, how are you doing today? You guys doing well? You seem pretty high energy for 9 o'clock, and that's, uh, I'm loving that. So, hey, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And if it's your very first uh, time joining us maybe for this series, we're just so glad to have you. Uh, we just hope that God meets you here in really a powerful way and, and uh, gives you hope and strength and uh, begins to lead you in a new path that will be uh, life-transforming. And so we're just happy to have you. But uh, we're going to be going to our time of teaching right now. And inside our program is a green and white message note sheet that we use every week for this time. You'll definitely want to take that out and make it easier to follow along. And then if you guys are ready to go, uh, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right. God, we're just excited to be here the start of a new series, Lord. And you have you've showed us in this last series that when we come to you, that we find out we've been chosen before time again to be part of an amazing program, amazing plan, a vision to bring all of creation under the leadership of your son, and that each of us has a vital part to play in that. And now as we go into this new series, God, we see what that looks like, what it looks like to live life on mission. And so, God, we pray that you'd meet us uh, today, every week. As we launch in, I pray that you'd be with us here and teach us. Be our teacher, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today about 15 years ago, and uh, it's the uh, start of a year, and uh, a new year, and at this point in my life, I have this uh, every year, uh, when I start of a new year, I would come up with a personal growth plan, just to help me kind of grow through that year very intentionally, and uh, so in this particular year, um, I decided I was going to read one major biography uh, of a great leader uh, every, every month. And be, so I picked a wide variety, you know, it was Napoleon, uh, it was Mother Teresa, it was uh, presidents, there's all kinds of different kinds of leaders, uh, but it's to learn more about leadership. And so uh, Lynn had given me for Christmas, she knew this was my plan to do this, and she, would, she had given me one of the, the biographies I wanted, and it was on uh, President Teddy Roosevelt. I want to start with that. I always heard amazing things about him, and I knew very little about him, other than the ob you know, uh, obvious, he's a rough rider and this kind of, kind, of, kind of man's man sort of guy and that sort of thing. So, uh, so I was excited to, get to, to launch in. And it was this uh, biography, was, uh, it was hardback. It was uh, 960 pages long. Uh, so I had one month to read it because I, it's going to be one a month, right? And so, so I launched in and uh, I'm loving it. It's an amazing story. If you've never studied his life, just fantastic read. Uh, but little did I know that when I got to the end of the book, that I'd be in for a big surprise. <laughs> so today, we're kicking off a new series. And uh, our series is called Sent, uh, Life on Mission. And uh, this is a series based on one of the longest books in the New Testament, uh, it's, it's called the Book of Acts. Uh, it's written by a man named Luke. Luke is a, uh, he's an educated guy. He's a doctor. Um, he is a uh, personal friend, close friend of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he is well-educated, and he is a fantastic historian. And what he's done over the last few years is he has research, carefully researched the, the movement of Jesus from the, the birth of Jesus all the way to the launch of his movement 
till after his resurrection 30 years later, it finds its way all the way to the heart of the Roman Empire, the mythic city of Rome. And so he's going to chronicle this, uh, this journey for us, the, the movement of Jesus, in two volumes. And so volume one, we call the Gospel of... Well, that was really slow. <laughs> it's written by Luke, so it's the Gospel of Luke. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and, and, so it's, and, and, the, and the Gospel of Luke is going to cover the, the birth, the life, the teaching, the miracles, the healings, the, uh, the, the, the death, the, the arrest, the death, the execution of Jesus, his resurrection from the grave and his ascension to heaven. That's volume one. And then volume two is going to pick up where Luke left off and he's going to do kind of a brief recap and then he's going to launch into the birth of Jesus movement uh, that, that kind of travels from Jerusalem all the way out uh, across the Roman Empire, all the way to Rome 30 years later. And so uh, 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 he's going to write this, both, both volumes, uh, they're designed to be read together. Um, they're like volume one, volume two, and, um, and so we'll talk about them more in a minute, but they're, they're uh, addressed to a man named Theophilus. Now, this was common in ancient times to when you would make a major literary work to uh, sort of dedicate it to, to a famous person or someone in authority, something like that. In fact, uh, many times here we talk about the writings of Josephus, uh, Flavius Josephus. If you read his volumes, there's very, he writes a very similar thing where it's like volume one is addressed to this guy, volume two addressed to this guy. So it's kind of a common literary technique. And so he addresses this to a man named Theophilus. Now, we don't know a lot about Theophilus. He would appear to be a highly educated, well-educated guy. Um, it would appear that he very likely was a high uh, government official. We're not sure of that. But as you'll see, he addresses this to most excellent Theophilus. And later on in the book of Acts, we'll see when the apostle Paul comes before some of the Roman governors, that he addressed them as most excellent. And so it would seem very likely there was a high government official. It's very likely that he, he may have been funding this research project. But as we'll see today, Theophilus was a, a, either a brand new Christian or he was someone who was interested in Jesus and the claims of Christ. He'd been taught some of, of the things about Christ and his movement, and he wanted to know more about it. And so uh, Luke is writing this two-volume account addressed to Theophilus, and of course all of us who are reading it, uh, to share more about the historical certainty, the, the reality, the evidence for the, uh, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the birth of his movement based on a careful firsthand research, right? And so I like to compare this, and I'm going to use this analogy throughout this series. I like to compare Luke and Acts to two seasons of a fast-moving sort of uh, kind of epic TV drama, right? So I think of like Lost, uh, right? That would be my best example. Um, maybe, maybe 24, but you've lost even better because it's a little harder to follow. Uh, <laughs> thus, Lost. Um, but... Uh, uh, but, uh, but when a screenwriter writes, uh, writes a, a, a drama for TV or a team of screenwriters, right, uh, and, and they're going to go over a couple seasons, they, they design them to be watched together, right? They, they're, they're designed to go together. And so um, very much in the same way, uh, Luke in Acts is like uh, uh, volume one, volume two designed to be read together. And to give you a feel for this, I want to start today by looking at the intros to both books to help you get how this feels, because it's actually very important in terms of our study of Acts as we go through. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to uh, Luke chapter 1, 
there on your note, she's, uh, called, the section is called Scent, One Story with Two Seasons. And so Luke writes, um, in my, uh, wait, I'm in the wrong one. Let's go look. I did that last time, night too. Um, okay. He says, um, he's writing to Theophilus. He says, uh, many have undertaken, Theophilus, to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. So he's talking about the movement of Jesus. You know, his life, death, resurrection, his movement. He says, so many, many have done that. Um, he says, just as they were handed down to us, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he says, uh, Theophilus, I know that there, there are many who have drawn up accounts of the life of Jesus and his movement. And um, in fact, we, we know for sure, almost for sure, that uh, the gospel of Mark is one of the ones he's referring to here. Because Luke depends a lot on the gospel of Mark for information when he's writing his, uh, his gospel. And so um, he says, with this in mind, verse 3, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, uh, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And so he's been taught about Jesus, and um, he's either come to Christ or he's seeking, considering the claims of Christ, and he wants to know, is this thing really believable? I mean, on these stories that I heard, I mean, it's the Roman Empire. We don't have emails. We don't have blogs. We don't have uh, uh, CNN. Uh, these things that you're, you're claiming about Jesus, amazing life, death, resurrection. Did that really happen? And he says, well, I've carefully researched this out so that you can have confidence in the historical veracity of the things you've been taught, right? So that's how, that's how Luke starts. Now, uh, let's flip over now to Acts. So Acts chapter 1, he says, um, in my former book, now which book is that? Yeah, look, so my former book, Theophilus, um, I write about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Right? So the life of Jesus uh, until the day he was taken up into heaven. So, so the, the gospel of Luke uh, starts us at the birth of Christ and it ends with the ascension into heaven. Um, he says, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And so after his suffering, you know, his death, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs. Now, this is interesting because, because Luke starts with uh, the, the, the birth of Christ, his first, you know, Christ event, happens the birth of Christ, but it ends with the resurrection of Jesus, and, uh, and, and then the whole final episode, if you will, of Luke is on the post-resurrection appearances. So Luke 24, the final episode, final chapter, uh, it starts with the resurrection of Jesus, and then uh, Jesus gives many convincing proofs that he's really alive. He's not a spirit. He's not a hallucination. He's not a vision. Uh, he's not a religious idea. It's not a spiritual resurrection that he's really alive. He's got a new body, and so on. We'll talk about that more later. And then he ascends into heaven. So he says, kind of, uh, he says, he gave uh, my first. Uh, he says, when Jesus came back, he gave many convincing proofs. Um, and uh, and it says that. Um, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. That's actually new information. If you read Luke 24, it almost sounds like it happens in a single day. Um, and spoke about the kingdom of God, which was his primary topic when Jesus was here teaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe the gospel. And so he said, on one occasion, 
uh, while he's eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John, talking about John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right? So he's kind of going back and, uh, and, and kind of giving us more information about Jesus' command to stay here in Jerusalem. He says uh, it, was, it was while they're, you know, t- one time when they're together, and he gave them the specific command, and he kind of quoted John the Baptist, and, and that's how it starts. Okay, and so, so what's happening uh, in, in Acts is that uh, you can see how these two go together. They're designed to be read together. And so today what I want to do in this opening message is I want to set us up for success for the whole series. And what I want to do is lay out, uh, kind of highlight four uh, kind of critical principles that are really helpful to understand where we're going in this study, uh, what the, uh, the, the, book of Luke, uh, but the book of Acts is about, um, but also prepare us spiritually for what God, I think, wants to do in our church uh, through this series. And so uh, there in your note sheet, uh, there's a section called Sent, the start of the story. And I want to run through these four highlights, all right? Here we go. Number one. The first thing I want you to catch, and I've sort of been alluding to this, is that Acts is a sequel. Uh, Acts was written uh, as to be the end of the story. It's, uh, uh, it's designed to be a sequel from the, from the very beginning. Now, this is really important. Uh, it's important we get this because um, what this means is that when Luke sits down to write uh, of the Gospel of Luke, he has acts in mind. Like he knows where this story is going. So what that means is that he's going to include key scenes, um, key teaching, key events from the life of Jesus that are going to prepare us for what's going to happen later on, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Okay. So, and it's very intentional. Um, like, let me give you an illustration, give you an example. I started the day with this story, right? It's the beginning of the year, 15 years ago. Uh, I'm uh, going to uh, enter in this personal growth project, read a biography a month. So I picked this first book, Teddy Roosevelt, 960 pages. Okay, this is the book. Mm. All right. So I got one month to read this. And so in my spare time, yeah, I, I don't do stuff like this, like, uh, you know, church stuff. And this is like for fun, right? Okay, so, uh, and so I, I started heading in, and it's an amazing story. Like, it's a, a gripping story. I mean, this guy, this guy's like Superman. He is amazing. If you've never read his story, uh, he starts out young, and, and they don't think he's going to live past 20. He can hardly breathe. His asthma is so bad, his father drives him through the street with carriages in the cold winter night to get air, force air into his lungs. Amazing. He's going to die. Um, and he goes on to be this kind of man's man, big time hunter, uh, crazy warrior. I mean, he's just amazing, right? So this this whole story, and I'm into this story, and I can't wait for the Because the primary reason I'm reading this book is to learn about leadership. I can't wait till he gets to be president, right? And he gets to be president. I want to see the decisions he makes. I love all this intro information to help me understand what shaped him, what formed him. But I want to read about when he's president and what he does as a leader for our country, how he navigates the, the, the kind of times of turmoil, the turn of the century, and so on. And so I can't wait to get there. And I get to the end of the book, and it's not even president yet. And I'm like, are you serious? I read a thousand pages, and he's not even president yet. And so, fortunately, 
at the time, Costco came out with volume two. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta step it up. I gotta knock this out by the end of January. I gotta stay on schedule here. It's 760 pages. And so I launch in. I can't wait to read it. And I get all the way through the presidency. It's awesome. It stops at his presidency. There's a volume three that had not been written yet. That would not be written for nine years. I still haven't read it. I don't know how the story is. Now, here's the point. When Edmund Morris, who writes this biography, he's, by the way, amazing biographer. When he writes a story, gripping story, he knows from the beginning that this is going to be a three-volume set. And so from all the things that happen in Teddy Roosevelt's early years, he is selecting those events he believes are most important for us to understand the man he became and the president he was. He's very selective. Here's what I want you to catch. Luke is exactly the same way. He's a gifted writer. He's a gifted historian. And from the beginning, he knows this is going to be at least two volumes. And so from the very beginning, he's including scenes from the life of Jesus, teaching from the life of Jesus, events that happened there, Uh, that are going to be very important later on. Remember this. Luke is writing uh, probably the earliest in the mid-60s, maybe 60s AD, like 30 years after the resurrection. And so Luke is looking back on history. He's looking back on the life of Jesus. He's looking back. By this time, the church has already grown, expanded, made it all the way to Rome. That's already happened. He's looking back and saying, what happened back then that was really important later on? You see, he's setting us up. And so Luke is highly selective in the material that he's going to choose to share with us. Let me give you one example from today's today's passage that we looked at. Uh, In Luke chapter 3, so let's call it season 1. In season 1, the first action that happens, it starts with a a genealogy of Jesus and then the birth of Jesus and all the things that happen around that. But the first thing that happened when Jesus uh, comes on the scene is that uh, God sends a prophet named John the Baptist. Now, John is the first prophet that Israel has had in 400 years. And people are flocking to John out in the desert. Uh, he has an, he's an amazing guy, extreme popular. We know from secular sources like Josephus, he was so popular that uh, uh, King Herod was afraid he was going to lead a revolution and that he was going to claim to be Messiah. And so that's why he had him arrested. But some people are flocking to him. And, and John's message is clear. He said, no, I'm not the Messiah. He said, I, my, my job is to get you ready for the coming of the Messiah. He's coming very soon. And you need to get ready. You need to get right with God. You need your heart ready because the kingdom of God is coming. And when it comes, you need to be ready. And so he said, you need to, to turn back to God. You need to kind of repent of your sins. And you need to be baptized, sort of a symbol of a washing away of the past, right? So people are coming. They're being baptized by John. And then one of the things that, that John said, because they asked him at a certain point, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. He said, in fact, um, he said, I'm not even uh, worthy to be his servant or his slave, to take off his sandals, which was work of a, a slave or servant. I'm not even worthy for that. He's so much bigger than me. He says, here's the thing. I baptize with water, but the one that comes, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He's going to immerse you 
in the Holy Spirit. He's going to drench you with the Holy Spirit. And so John tells a story. I mean, Luke tells a story in Luke chapter 3, and he just leaves it there. Now, if you're a Theophilus, you're a first-time reader, you don't know about Christianity, it raises a question, doesn't it? Like, what, what is this baptism of the Spirit? Like, what, who's this one's going to go? What, what's this baptism of the Spirit thing? How's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And catch this, the rest of season one, Luke doesn't really ever refer to that again. You're just kind of left there. Like an early scene from Lost, where something really weird happens, and it's going to mean something later on, but it's just kind of weird. Like, we don't know what that means. And so, at the end of Luke, then Jesus tells his men, hey, so we're now in chapter 24 of Luke, final episode of season one, and it's a cliffhanger. Jesus has risen from the dead, showed the convincing proofs. He's told his men to wait in Jerusalem until the gift of my father comes. And then he leaves. And what's going to happen next? What's going to happen to this movement? What's going to happen? What about this gift of the father? What's that going to look like? And so if you're reading it for the first time, which like Theophilus would be, it's like, whoa, like where's season two? When's that coming out on Netflix? You know, I just want to, I want to see that thing. And so when season two begins, then what does Luke do? He does what all good dramas do. What do they do the very first week of the show? They do a recap. They do scenes per previous episodes. And that's exactly how, uh, how Luke starts Acts. He, he kind of goes back and says, in the first uh, season, I showed you all that Jesus began to do. Uh, he says so, and, and he begins to kind of detail kind of, kind of a review of the final episode of chapter 24. And then he's ready to launch his new season. And so um, let me give you an example of uh, this. So so what happened, we just talked about John the Baptist, right? And so John the Baptist mystery, what's what's gonna happen? Uh, You're gonna be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Well, in the the intro then to season uh, two, Jesus is gonna refer to that. So let's look at it, one, four. So next one, four. He says, on one occasion... While he was eating with them, he, this is Jesus, gave him the command, don't leave Jerusalem. Now, we knew that from Acts 24, the final episode. He said, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. We knew that. But here's what we don't know. This is something new. Uh, watch how he begins to, t- to tie these two dramas together. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We've not heard that since Luke 3. That's been a mystery. Now Jesus is quoting John, saying it's going to happen. It's about to happen. See? And so this is what we're going to see throughout the Gospel of Luke and Acts. I mean, throughout the Acts, is that uh, these are designed to be read together. And really to fully understand the message of Acts, Luke assumes we just finished Luke. And there's many times we're going to have to go back into Luke to get the backstory, just like if you were, had never seen Lost before, and you're watching season six, the final season, and you're like, I, I don't get part of this. Okay, we're going to have to go back. Right, here's what happened. And so I said, you know, like, you've never seen it. You're there with an annoying friend. Well, let me tell you what happened. Uh, 
And so, uh, so many times we're going to do that. So it's, it's a sequel. It's important for us to understand. That'll play a big part in this series. Uh, remember that. Season one, season two, I'll be referring to all the way through. Okay, number two. The second, uh, second principle is that Acts is apologetic. Now, you say, what's he apologizing for? Uh, no, no, not that kind of apologetic. Um, that that um, in, in the Greek language, there's a word, and the word is apologia. And the apologia means a defense. And so in Christian circles, when we talk about apologetics, we're talking about the defense of the faith. We're talking about when people have, when, when critics come, when people, honest seekers come, have questions about Jesus, the reliability, is this really true, that uh, we're able to give uh, rational, credible responses to very real uh, questions people have to help them come to faith. And so what I want you to catch is that Acts, uh, one of the primary reasons Acts was written uh, is to be an apologetic for early Christianity, a defense of early Christianity. You say, well, why did it need that? One thing we forget is that it's, Christianity is so well-known today, but what we forget is that in the first century, Christianity was a minority movement. When Luke is writing this, maybe in the 60s, uh, let's say 70s, whatever it is, 60s, uh, in, uh, uh, when he's writing uh, uh, Luke, uh, and Luke and Acts, um, that it, Christianity was like a blip on the radar, right? Like, it's an amazing story of its spread, but most people aren't directly impacted by it at that point. Uh, it's not like it's a, a major religion in the Roman Empire. It's a very small percentage of people have come to Christ and so on. Uh, it's like the seeds of the movement have been planted. They're going to spread uh, within 300 years. It's going to become the official religion of the Roman Empire. But at this point, it's just very small. And so early on, there were a lot of critics when Luke was writing this. Uh, there were Jewish critics who said, we don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Messiahs win. They don't lose. Um, they, don't, they don't get crucified, kind of the ultimate curse. Um, he can't be the Messiah. Uh, that, uh, that, uh, and so Luke is going to be addressing that. And he's going to be seeing in Acts, you'll see many of the, uh, the early sermons the apostles give speak to this issue of who is Jesus and why do you believe he's the Messiah? And how has he fulfilled Old Testament prophecies? Um, there are going to be many critics at the time of Luke that are going to say that Christianity is dangerous. In fact, about the time Luke is writing, either uh, before or after, there's a major, uh, there's a, a, um, the first major persecution empire-wide of Christians, where it comes to legally be a Christian. Uh, and one of the criticisms is going to be that Christians are a threat to society. They are a hazard for uh, for, for the health of our culture. They undercut our culture. They undercut leadership. Uh, they're a rebellious movement. And, uh, and so Luke is going to show us that that's not the case at all, that the Christians are very respectful. They honor authorities, that the problems that surround Christians are not caused by Christians, but are those who are persecuting Christians and wanting to make an issue of something. Um, we're going to see that... Um, that the, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the conflicts that's going to come in the Roman Empire is that in the Roman Empire, uh, the success of Rome as this major empire, the greatest ever world, the world had ever known, the success of Rome in Roman mentality was tied to their worship of the gods. 
Because you worship the gods, uh, and we can worship the gods well, they have blessed Rome. You know, much like we would say, there was a time when we were as a nation pursuing God, America was blessed, right? It was same, same kind of idea. Uh, and so they saw Christians as a threat to the empire because they're not worshiping the gods. This is why the early Christians were called atheists. They didn't believe in all the gods. And so Luke will be showing how the God, of, uh, the God, who, the, uh, the God we worship is the creator God. And he is greater than all these other gods. And so there's a, a defense there. Uh, we'll see that one of the critics, uh, uh, the, um, the type of critics in the early Roman Empire was philosophers, as they are today. And they would criticize the movement of Jesus and this whole thing about resurrection, and that's ridiculous. Why would you even want a new body anyway? Uh, bodies cause all the troubles. Uh, and, so, and so we're going to see a defense of the resurrection. So what I want you to catch is that as the gospel went forward in the Roman Empire, catch this, one of the reasons was because the early church was aggressively apologetic, that it worked hard to come up with the right to share the right answers to these honest questions and unreasonable criticisms that were brought. And so Luke has written for that. The stories that he's including, the accounts, the speeches, the, the sermons and all, he's defending the movement of Jesus. So he's writing it for Theophilus to tell what happened, but he's intentionally, from all appearances, intentionally uh, writing a defense of the faith. Now, this is so important for us, men and women, because in this series, we're going to be talking about being sent, a sent people, that we have joined Jesus in his mission to share the message throughout the world, to bring the kingdom of God uh, from heaven to earth, here in the next life. And and what we're going to see is that as followers of Jesus, we live today in a society where we are increasingly becoming a minority movement. We are very much like the early church. And many times we will throw our hands up and wring our hands and say, what's going to happen to us? Uh, the culture is coming around us. The culture has criticisms. They see us as an enemy of progress. And so what are we going to do? We need to wring our hands. We need to understand this. Uh, we have Jesus on our side. He said he's going to build his church. The gates of hell can't prevail against that. He is going to empower us, and he's going to send us out with a message. But part of that message is that we have to have credible answers to the legitimate questions people ask. And uh, there on your note sheet, I put an example from, from Luke. Look how Luke starts his gospel in Luke chapter 1 and verse 4. And I want you to see how Luke designs this book as an apologetic. He says, uh, he writes to Theophilus, and he says, Many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by the, uh, those who are from the first. And I want you to see these words. I've highlighted our, our, bold, our kind of capitalized four words. Um, just as they, uh, um, see, down to us by those uh, with from the, uh, who from the first were, what's the next word? Eyewitnesses. Right? I, servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have, what's next? Carefully investigated um, everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write and what? Orderly account. Uh, for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty, right? 
You saw it today in the, in the start of Acts. He talks about Jesus gave many convincing proofs, right? This is how Luke ends Luke 24. It's how he ends season one. Because the movement of Jesus is based on the resurrection of Jesus. If you take away the resurrection of Jesus, it all goes away. And so in Luke 24, he ends season one by talking about the resurrection of Jesus and then giving us just a taste, a sample of some of the convincing proofs. How Jesus, uh, the, the, on, on that first resurrection morning, he shows up that night with his men. He's, uh, they're behind locked doors. He shows up anyway, but he's not like a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's not a hallucination. He's not a vision because he sits down with them. They can touch him. They can hug him. They have dinner together. He eats fish. What's Luke doing? He is laying out convincing proofs. He is saying this Christianity thing is based not on a leap of faith in the dark. Christianity has never been, it's not, it's not just a moral uh, code. It's not just a philosophy of life. Christianity is based on the historical reality that there was a time and place when God invaded time and space to rescue us and we proved it by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus, we have got to get clear on that message. And as we're out there and we're going to be sharing our faith, as we're talking with people, as a relationship, they're going to have questions. I would have questions. You would have questions. Any thinking person would have questions. And we need to be prepared to answer those questions. Look there on your note sheet in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter, who's writing you know, 30, 35 years, 30, 35 years after the resurrection of Jesus, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the, re- uh, for the reason, for the hope that you have, but do this with what? Gentleness and respect, right? So, so be ready to answer questions of honest seekers. Uh, be ready to defend the, uh, the, the, the faith to those who are the critics. But he says, you always do it with gentleness and respect, right? Okay, so, so uh, Acts is apologetic, and we're going to see that working out. Number three. Number three, Acts is all about Jesus. Now, you say, well, isn't that kind of, like, obvious? And, well, not so much. Like, if I were to send you home today and say, here's your assignment. I want you to go home today. or start a new series. Wouldn't be a bad assignment, by the way. Um, if I were to give one. Uh, but uh, anyway, if you were to go home today and say, hey, okay, I'm just going to take, uh, take an hour, whatever it is, and I'm going to read the, the book of Acts, the whole book, right? And then you were to come back next week and say, okay, so I have a question for you. Who are the main care- characters, main players in the book of Acts? Here's what I think you'd say. Some of you would say, well, I think it was, um, it's sort of, it was kind of Peter and Paul, really. Um, call it Acts of the Apostles. It's really about those two for the most part. I mean, first half is about Peter, second half about Paul. And you would be right. Um, you might say, well, I think it's all about the Holy Spirit. I mean, it seems to be the big event that happens, the coming of the Spirit. You know, Jesus said, wait here for the coming of the Spirit. Uh, John Baptist, water, I bet the Holy Spirit. That seems to be the key to this whole book, the coming of the Spirit that transforms these men who had been hiding behind locked doors a couple months before, a month and a half before, into these world beaters who are just these bold witnesses for Jesus. We see the leadership of the Spirit on page after page after page in, in Acts. In fact, some people have suggested we should call it Acts of the Holy Spirit, which that's the name of the holy book, uh, name, name of the book. Uh, and you'd be right. You'd be absolutely right. 
But here's what I want to suggest. That if you look deeper, the book of Acts is really all about Jesus. It's all about what he said and what he did. And I want, I want you to see this. Uh, Acts chapter 1. Let's open our Bibles again. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, in my uh, former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, what are the next three words? Began to do. Okay. Uh, I wrote about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. And in my previous book, I told you about Jesus. I told you about what he began to do. I told you about his birth. I told you about his baptism. I told you about his life, his teaching, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. I told you everything that Jesus began to do. What's the implication? That Acts is all about what Jesus continued to do and teach. And this is what we're going to see in the church. I think we often miss this. That we say that Jesus rose from the dead, we look at it as a historical event that happened on uh, uh, one spring morning um, about Passover, uh, about uh, 30 years, maybe 30 AD, somewhere around there, give or take. Uh, and we say it's an amazing event, and we build our faith on, on that event, right? What we often miss is that the resurrection doesn't just mean that Jesus came out of the grave. The resurrection means that Jesus is alive, right? And so he then ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, which is a biblical way of saying, not that there's a real seat right there for him. It's a biblical way of saying that King Jesus, because of his death and his resurrection, making atonement for our sins, he has been raised to the top leadership position in the universe, this is why you call him King Jesus. This is why you call him Lord Jesus. He is now Lord of creation. The Father has turned the leadership of our world over to Jesus. He rules. And from there, uh, Jesus is going to move, and Jesus is going to lead, and Jesus is going to act, and he's going to work through his church, his people, to bring the kingdom of God to earth, which was his topic. And so, Season one is about what Jesus began to do and teach. What we're going to see in Acts is that this is, season two is about what Jesus continued to do and teach. When we get to chapter three, we're going to see uh, Peter and John going up to the temple. This is about a month or maybe a couple months, uh, two months after the, the resurrection. And uh, they go up to the temple and they heal this lame man. And... Uh, and so they're arrested for that. And they said, how'd you do that? And he says, oh, it's in the name of Jesus. They're like, oh, no, bummer. We, could, we, got, we thought we got rid of that guy three months ago. <laughs> oh, he's back. He's back. And now we're doing what he used to do. Right? Because he's with us. He's leading us. He's empowering us. See, so the, the story of Acts is going to be the story of what Jesus continued to do and teach. There in your note sheet, I put a great example from the longer ending of the Gospel of Mark, and this was probably not in the original manuscripts, but I love um, how uh, an early Christ follower kind of summarized the early movement of Jesus. He says, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat at the right hand of God. He said, then the disciples went out and they preached everywhere and catch this, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his works or his word by the signs that accompany him. That's a great summary of the book of Acts. 
that they went out and preached like he told them, and he worked with them every step of the way, leading, guiding, empowering. See, the book of Acts is about Jesus. Now, this is why it's so important for us as a church. It's so important for us to understand here at the church at Rocky Peak that the church is not a human organization. The church is where the presence of God resides. Not in the building, but in us as his people. And that when we come together, Jesus is our leader. And as we move into our future, Jesus is our future. He's going to lead us. And when we talk about the vision for the future, we care less about our vision for the future. The question is, what is Jesus' vision for this church? He is the Lord of this church. We are his people. We gather every week to meet with our Lord, our King, to get our marching orders, and then to go out, and the Lord will go with us as we go. Amen? You see, so the church is not the human organ. It's not like the Rotary. It's not like Kiwanis. Not like Congress. Uh, It's not a human organization. It's the people of God who've been filled with the Spirit of God. Christ is in them, the hope of glory. We gather together under the leadership of King Jesus, and then we are sent out as he was. And that leads to number four. Number four is that Acts is missional. You say, what do you mean? Well, if you were to ask me, why did Jesus come to earth? Why why did Jesus come? Um, I think a fair answer would be, well, he was a man on a mission. And if you said, well, what was his mission? I think Jesus speaks to this in Luke 19. He says, uh, the son of man, which was his favorite name for himself, came to seek and save what was lost. That's why he came. He says, the Father sent me uh, to come out for my people who are lost out there. And they they don't know which which one's up, and they're lost, and they're in the dark, and I've come to find them and bring them home. I've come to rescue them. I've come to heal them. I've come to restore them. I've come to save and to seek and to save those who are lost. And here's what, if that was his mission, here's what I want you to catch. This is the exact mission that Jesus turned over to us when he left. And I want you to see this in Luke chapter, I mean, in John 17, this is the last night Jesus is with his men before he's arrested. He's he's praying, he's letting them eavesdrop on his prayer. He's talking to his father. You know, Jesus is about to go home to his father. Uh, His men are staying here. He loves these men. They're his friends. He cares about them. Uh, he's going to be sending them on mission out into the world. It's a hostile world. It's an evil world. We're going to see this in Acts. There's going to be lots of persecution, lots of hostility. And so he knows they're in danger. And so look what he says. He says, I'm coming to you now, talking to his father. I'm coming to you, but I say these things while I'm still in the world. And my prayer is not that you take them, what, what, is, he not, what is he saying next? Not to take them out of the world. Don't, don't forget that. Underline it. Circle it. He says, my prayer is not to say, I'm leaving this evil world. Uh, my job is done. They're still in it. It's a hostile world. It's a dangerous world. And he says, my prayer is not to take them out with me. Uh, they're here for a purpose. I'm leaving them. He says, uh, but that you protect them from the evil one. That as they go forward, they'll be protected. This is exactly what we're going to see in Acts. 
The gospel is going to go forward. There's going to be opposition at every level. There's going to be suffering at every level. When you get to Acts 14, Paul's going to tell the new Christians, he says, it's through suffering we enter the kingdom of God. This is the way it is. If you're going to follow Jesus, you better roll your sleeves up. You better be ready for persecution. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be easy. Men and when we are entering a time in our country when the persecution for us as followers of Jesus will increase. We're going to be called bigots. We're going to be seen as anti-progressive. Dark ages is increasingly happening in our culture. There are times when you stand for Jesus or what is right and what's wrong, you're going to lose your job. This is going to happen. It's already starting to happen. Uh, unless a revival comes to our nation, it's going to continue to happen. If you're a follower of Jesus, you better get ready to be persecuted now. This is part of the deal. It's part of the bargain. If we suffer with him, Paul says we will reign with him. This is part, uh, this is kind of your ticket to admission. And so Jesus recognizes that. And he says, I, I pray you protect him from the evil one. And then he says, catch this. Here's, here's what I'm going for, the last line. As you, what's the next word? Sent. As you sent me in the world, I have what? Sent them in the world. You see, he's transferring his mission. He, Father sent him to seek and save lost. He is now sending us. That's where the name for the series comes from, sent. By definition, a follower of Jesus is a person who's on mission for Jesus. And this is what we see in Acts. I want you to look at Acts chapter 1. We started, stopped at verse 5 before, but I want to go on just a couple more verses. Look at verse um, 6, and we'll go through 8. He says, then he, they, they gathered around him, around Jesus, and they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he just talked about the coming of the Spirit, which triggers in their mind, coming of the Spirit, Messianic age, uh, so is it time for the kingdom to come? And he said, uh, it's not for you to know the, the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. It's not really your department to know the timing of my coming. Um, he says, but, um, but here's what you need to know. Here's what's important. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, your baptism of the Spirit, and you will be my witnesses, and it's going to start in Jerusalem, and it's going to spread out to the counties around Judea and Samaria. It's going to go to the ends of the earth, even Rome the capital of the empire. And that, in a way, is sort of an outline of the book of Acts. We're going to watch the story unfold as the church of Jesus starts in Jerusalem, expands through Judea and Samaria, and then eventually makes way throughout the Roman Empire. We're going to go through, we're going to go through Turkey, and then over to Greece, and eventually to Rome, the Apostle Paul. So it's kind of an outline of the book, how this book's laid out. Okay? But what I want you to catch is Jesus says, here's what you need to know. Hey, when, when are you coming back? What's the timetable? Hey, what's happening in the Middle East? What's a, hey, here's what you need to know. Your job is to live life on mission. Your job is to stay focused on your calling. Your job is to be my witnesses, to share the message, and that's why I'm empowering you. I'm empowering you for a life of mission, you see? And so this has uh, implications for us because what we're going to see in, um, in Acts is this has This has implications for every part of our life. What does it look like to live a missional life? It affects every part of our life. I'm not just talking about sharing the gospel directly. I'm not talking about To be missional means that you understand you're part of a movement and that every part of your life is part of that movement. 
So the way we raise kids is for the movement. We raise our kids for our king, that they would grow up and be warriors in a culture that's going to be increasingly challenging. Right now, there's stories out there of ISIS, and ISIS moving into cities and lining up the Christians and bringing the children out, seven years old, and telling them to deny Christ or they'll be beheaded. And these children who are seven years old are standing for their faith and giving their life for Jesus. At seven years old, what are we raising our kids for? We know we're like, oh, you know, the world out there is so evil. Hey, we need to be raising warriors for the kingdom. You see, missional lives. It affects our parenting. It affects our marriages. Remember we talked about this in the book in, in Ephesians. We said that for a Christian marriage, there's more at stake than your happiness. That people look at us, and if, if our marriages are thriving and flourishing in an age where 50% of people are getting divorced, that catches people's attention. What's going on? Here? Hey, we, we talked about this. When you go to work and you are a great worker with a great attitude, you serve a difficult boss, what do we learn in Epic? We learn that, that it paves the way for the gospel. This is the kind of person that the gospel creates, it creates people that are team players, that love others, that serve hard, that work hard, that help one another in the job, that are the kind of people you want in your team. You see, it's missional. You see? So when you talk about being missional, I'm not just talking about, hey, sharing the gospel. That's a big part of it. But being missional is living life on mission, realizing that the moment you came to Jesus, you became part of a movement. The moment you came to Jesus, you became a sent person. Life on mission. And what we're going to see in the book of Acts is we're going to see that Jesus creates this incredible community starting in Jerusalem. We're going to read about in the coming week how when the Holy Spirit comes, these new believers have this passion for God. They have this love for one another. Uh, they're sharing their lives. They're sharing their homes. They're sharing their finances. Uh, and it's amazing, beautiful, attractive community that was drawing people in. What is going on over there? I want to be part of that community. And that's part of the message of Acts as we go through that Jesus is calling us here at Rocky Peak to create an incredible community that's a magnetic, attractive community where we love one another, we take care of one another, we grow together, we laugh together, we cry together, we carry each other through. In a world that's falling apart, there is a community that actually has figured out this love thing. And so we are called to create this incredible, magnetic, attractive community. So when people come, they say, I want to be part of that. That's part of the movement. That's part of being missional. But catch this. It's not just about creating a community. It's about creating a community that's on mission. See, many times in the church, we think that being a church is all about creating a community. It's just about creating a community. It's not about the cause, it's just about the community. And so we want to build a great place here, a safe place for our kids where they can grow up awesome. Uh, we can love one another, we can have our friends, we can share the burdens of life, and it's great. But remember what Jesus said. He said, Father, I do not pray that you take them out of the world. And many times as Christians, we're, we're tempted to create this safe bubble where it's us for and no more. 
and we become so inwardly focused. And not, well, do I like the music? Or, oh, the sermon's a little long. Or, you know, the children sing. I used to like it. Whatever the thing is. And by the way, not that we have much of that here, but, but just, you know what I'm saying, just Christianity in general. And churches are just filled with cranky people, right? Because <laughs> we think it's all about us. It's not about us. We're creating a magnetic community using our gifts here and the weekends and our life to create this magnetic, thriving, healthy community so that we can be sent on mission. And that's what we're going to be seeing in the book of Acts. What does it look like to create a community that's a sent community and live our lives that's on mission? And so I want to invite you to come with me on this journey. I'm very excited about this. God has just placed my heart. I believe it's the next step for our church. That God is doing an amazing thing here. Lives are being changed. People are coming to Christ. Marriages are being healed. Transformation is happening. And I feel like He's saying, I brought you to this moment. Now to take the next step as a church to live life on mission. That you would join me in my mission to seek and save lost people. And that we would join together as brothers and sisters. We use our gifts. We use our time. We use our resources. We would love one another well. We would create this magnetic community that Jesus said they will know you're my disciples by your love. And when people come, they'll experience the presence of God in a powerful way. But they're going to come because we're in relationship with them outside of here. We're loving outside of here. We're serving in the community. We're making connections. We're sharing the message of Christ. And then when the time is right, come and see. And see what God does. Let's pray together. God, we want to live on mission with you. Um, we are thankful to be at the, the start, the launch, you know, the liftoff of a brand new series. But Lord, it's more than a series. It's a season in the life of our church. And God, we pray that you would come and meet us. I'm sure in a, in a group like this, there are different responses to this message and some of us are just so fired up, and others have said, I'd love to do that, but my life is just hurting, and, and I'm in a, in a bad place right now. Circumstances are overwhelming, and, and God, just speak to them, and let them know that if they will just simply open their hearts to you and give you permission, that you will not only meet them and bring your peace and your power to that situation, but you will prepare them to join you on this mission, because it's your mission. And God, we pray that as we bring you our offerings, as we go into worship now, you'd speak to us. And God, we pray that we would understand what it means to be sent in our own lives and as a church, that we would join you for life and mission, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth right now, right here this place, this part of earth, as it is in heaven. Amen.
Well, welcome to Scent, Life on Mission. I believe God's going to take us on an amazing journey as we walk through this story of this early movement of Jesus and how Jesus came to lead his church, empower them to experience transformed lives, renewed relationships, brand new community, but a community that's on mission, called to share the message of the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, and what it means for the forgiveness of sins, new life, and a new life in his spirit until he comes back again to turn all things to right and bring the kingdom of God of which we will populate as his followers for the rest of eternity with him. And so may the Lord envision us. May he lift our eyes. May we grow larger, bigger than ourselves, that our eyes would turn outward. We'd remember it's not about us. It's about him. It's about his kingdom, his will. And that together we would embrace that and live life-changing, world-beating lives. Amen? Amen? God bless you. Don't forget prayer on the side if you need it. I'll see you next week.